Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and co-host Dr. Erica Reamer. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 318th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, brought to you today by ICD University. And joining me this morning is my co-host, the very popular Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer is the founder and the president of Erica Reamer, MD. Good morning, Erica. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone. Erica, let me ask you, if I may, a personal question. Chuck, I'm an open book to you and our audience. (laughs) Very good. Okay, so here goes. As a teenager, Erica, did you ever get carded? (laughs) What do you mean as a teenager? I still get carded. (laughs) Of course you do. Well, soon Medicare beneficiaries are going to be carded. They're going to be receiving new identification cards with new identifiers. CMS is going to be replacing Social Security numbers on the current cards with new what they call Medicare Beneficiary Identifiers, or MBIs. Just what we all need, another card in our wallets. There you go. Well, I know you won't be receiving yours until you reach 65, so this could really be in the future for you, Dr. Emmer. Nonetheless, the new cards are going to be in the mail starting in April, and author, educator, and consultant Wayne Abbey is standing by to report our lead story. Also on the rundown, Lori will continue her reporting on more of the new code proposals from the recent CNM meeting. Holly Louie will be venting her frustrations about CMS and her MAC overbilling issues. Indeed. Uh, Rhonda Tuller is standing by with our Dateline Washington report. Uh, yep, a lot of news to report there. Indeed. And we have a live report on how patients and providers are coping in the hurricane-ravaged Puerto Rico. So let's check in now with Lorraine Martinez, who is reporting live in San Juan, Puerto Rico. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by ICD University, inviting you to register now for an on-demand webcast on the ICD-10 coding of Parkinson's disease, available April 3rd. It features Gloria and Bryant. Here now reporting live from San Juan, Puerto Rico, is Lorraine Martinez. Good morning, Chuck. Thank you for having me today. Puerto Rico was hit by Hurricane Maria over six months ago, and it's no secret that we're still struggling to recover from its devastating effects. As the strongest storm to hit our island in nearly a century slowly approached, we knew that getting back on our feet was going to be hard. What we never imagined is that waiting for the most essential services to be restored was going to take such a long time, and that so many human lives were going to be lost because of this. It is expected that nearly a thousand people have died as a direct consequence of Hurricane Maria. The most vulnerable, the elderly, children, and sick people are still trying to cope and get on with their normal lives. But normalcy could now be living without basic utilities like electricity. Although it had been reported in several news outlets that all shelters are empty by now, and those who have requested temporary roofs have already received them, according to Puerto Rico's Power Authority, 103,000 people do not have electricity yet. Those who already have it are now getting used to frequent blackouts because of failures in the system and a severely damaged structure. A month ago, nearly a million Puerto Ricans were left in the dark for almost 24 hours. The lack of electricity and water in some cases has also impacted the services provided in hospitals with some emergency rooms now operating partially or a few hours a day when they were supposed to be open 24 hours. Some smaller clinics around the island have been shut down because of the damage in the infrastructure, and it was too much for them to go back into business. 
It's important to keep in mind that when this happens, it means that thousands of American citizens who do not have access to reliable transportation or do not have that means or the means to go to a bigger medical institution must deal with their health issues on their own. Even worse, they don't get the attention they need and might die because of that. The delays in human response has caused an unprecedented mental health crisis. The amount of stress, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorders is present in a substantial chunk of the population. Linea Paz, Puerto Rico's main suicide hotline, informed that suicide attempts have tripled after the hurricane. Another area in which the hurricane has, a ne- has had a negative impact is in the production of pharmaceutical drugs and other medical supplies. Puerto Rico produces, produces I'm sorry, more pharmaceuticals by dollar value than any of the 50 states or any foreign country, and has been essential to produce IV vaccines, for example. A shortage of this has been exacerbated because lots of plants, some of them belonging to Baxter International, were decimated. This has damaged the supply chain, forcing doctors in the mainland and other countries to improvise. It's clear by now that not only Puerto Ricans have been suffering due to Hurricane Maria, but also those who somehow depend on the progress and the work that was done here in the island. We will see where we stand six months from now in the, in the first year anniversary of Hurricane Maria. That will be my cue, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lorraine, very much. That was Lorraine Martinez reporting live from San Juan, Puerto Rico. Lorraine is with Imediata. It's a healthcare billing and reimbursement company in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And, Lorraine, we wish you and your team and everyone in the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico the very, very best. It's Tuesday. It's March 27th, and you're listening to the 318th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by. Talk 10 Tuesday is brought to you today by ICD University. The instruction for coding hypertensive heart disease in the 2018 ICD-10-CM official guidelines for reporting has many wondering, are we supposed to assume a disease has a causal relationship when it has not been documented by the physician? Like it or not, the guideline tells us yes. What does that mean for coding staff who have been conditioned to code to the highest level of specificity? To find out, join the ICD-10 Monitor exclusive webcast, Assumptive Coding for Heart Disease, Avoid Coder Confusion. This webcast featuring National Coding Authority Terry Fletcher is tomorrow, Wednesday, March 28th. Register to attend. Simply click on the rotating ad on the ICD-10 Monitor homepage or call 800-252-1578, extension 2. Now is the time for Dateline Washington, reporting live from our nation's capital. It's talked into the legislative analyst, Rhonda Tuller. Good morning, Chuck. Congress is on recess right now, and many of the pundits in D.C. think there will be no significant legislation this year beyond what was recently passed, H.R. 1625, or the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2018, that's keeping the government funded through the end of fiscal year 2018, which ends on September 30th. I'll talk a little bit more in a minute about that particular legislation. But I also want to mention that there still seems to be an emphasis on value and moving from volume to value-based payment. Both CMS Administrator Verma at the Healthcare Information Management Systems Society Conference earlier in the month, and HHS Secretary Azar at the Federation of American Hospitals Conference reaffirmed the administration's commitment to moving toward a value-based reimbursement system. Other things that have been happening in D.C. include a report that was issued I believe it was last week, by MedPAC. MedPAC is a group that advises 
Congress on Medicare reimbursement. And one of the things in their report, their March report, is they would like to get rid of the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, that was part of the MACRA legislation that changed the way that physicians are reimbursed. There was also a hearing last week in the Ways and Means Committee where Deputy Administrator of CMS testified again about progress with MACRA. Going back to H.R. 1625, or the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2018, um, multiple agencies got funding to deal with the opioid crisis. Um, In addition, the National Institutes of Health got a nice bump, about 8.8% above the 2017 levels. Um, However, some agencies did have their funding at a flat level. What isn't included um, is also quite important, cost-sharing reduction payments for the Affordable Care Act exchange health plans and funding for reinsurance or high-risk pools was not included, as well as funding was not included for what's considered risk corridor payments under the Affordable Care Act. I think many would say the Affordable Care Act is still the law of the land, but we may see some ideological changes happen through regulations with the Health and Human Services Agency. We'll also see some work on the states, giving states waivers for more flexibility in designing um, Medicaid and restructuring some of the individual insurance markets. Again, the movement toward value does have bipartisan support. I think we will continue to see more of that move forward, but I guess we'll just have to wait to see how quick the pace is. And then finally, I'll mention that I think another area that is definitely on the uh, Trump administration radar is drug prices. It was something that was brought uh, to fold during Secretary Azar's hearings um, to be confirmed as HHS Secretary. So I will stop there and turn it back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Rhonda, very much. That was Talk 10 Tuesday Legislative Analyst Rhonda Tuller. Rhonda is a member of the HIMSS Professional Development Committee. We continue our reporting on the outcome of the recent Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting. Here now with more on that and the proposed new code is Lori Johnson. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Chuck and Erica, and hello to everyone in the listening audience. This morning I will be referring to the 25 diagnosis proposals at the Coordination and Maintenance Meeting. Remember that these codes are proposed for implementation October 1st, 2019, otherwise known as Fiscal Year 20. There is a handout under the Handouts tab that provides specifics about commenting. Comments on diagnosis codes are due May 11th, 2018. There are three proposals concerning genetics that I would like to discuss. One proposal requested the expansion of BRCA mutations, which is um, in code Z15.01, to improve data capture, tracking, and reporting. The second gene proposal was for deficiency of adenosine deaminase 2, or referred to as DATA2. DATA1 is already captured in the code set. Part of the discussion was about the need to include manifestations of DATA2 in the codes. So this proposal would expand subcategory D81.3. If there is a need to continue or to expand those Uh, to include those manifestations, then I am sure this proposal will be delayed. 
The third gene proposal was about Dravet syndrome, which includes severe myoclonic epilepsy. These seizures are always refractory and intractable. This is a rare disease which requires further research and reporting, which is why the additional detail to G40.83 has been requested. I have two other proposals that I would like to discuss. One is the Prader-Willi syndrome, PWS, um, had a code in ICD-9-CM, but a specific code was not included in ICD-10-CM. This syndrome is near and dear to my heart as Clint Hurdle, who is the Pirates manager, and the Pittsburgh Pirates are, are um, the uh, baseball team here in Pittsburgh. He has a daughter who has Prader-Willi syndrome. This syndrome includes feeding difficulties, poor growth, and delayed development. The other proposal generated a lot of discussion, and it was left against medical advice, which is identified in Z53.21. The discussion had two different points. One is left against medical advice, is it referring to before or after being seen by a medical professional? There is a current code for left against medical advice in ICD-10-CM Z23.21. The proposal indicates that this code would be before being seen by a medical professional and a new code, Z53.21, would be after a medical professional evaluation. The second point was why do we need this code when it is already a discharge status? So, again, looking for your comments um, on that proposal. The CDC would like to get your comments on these proposals and others by May 11, 2018. Next week, I will discuss some more of the proposals. On another note, while influenza activity is decreasing, strain B of the virus is more predominant now. This strain is more severe for children. It is possible to get the flu twice, when there are different strains involved. It is not too late to get that flu shot. So back to you, Erica. Thanks, Lori. I've already submitted my comments. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is the Senior Healthcare Consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Chuck? Thanks, Erica. And Lori, thanks very much. You can read Lori Johnson's reporting on these new ICD-10 code proposals in the ICD-10 Monitor e-news. Here's a question for you. Are you frustrated because it seems that CMS and your Mac aren't on the same page? Well, you're not alone. Listen to our good friend Holly Louie and see if you can relate to her reporting. Holly, what is going on? Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, everyone. And yes, frustration barely scratches the surface this year, I believe. Um, You know, it just doesn't seem to me that the stated CMS goal of correctly adjudicating medically necessity excuse me, medically necessary claims, is a very high priority for them. There's a lot of other priorities, um, myriad emails every single day telling providers what those are and how to avoid problems and how to avoid audits and how to do everything correctly, but they don't seem to apply that same standard to themselves. And it's doubly frustrating because this is absolutely predictable. It's going to happen every October 1 with the diagnosis code updates. It's going to happen every January with the CPT and HICPIC updates. 
and potentially even throughout the year as other updates are published or clarified. So it's a known issue every single year, every single time, but they don't seem to um, put a lot of priority on preventing those problems that are significant disruptions to provider revenue flow. Just this year, 2018 alone, for a listing maybe, the new uh, voluntary reporting X modifiers that describe the relationship of the patient to the provider at a visit were recommended as go ahead and start reporting in 2018. They will be presumably mandatory in the future. So every one of our clients planned for this, we programmed for it, we got it updated, and 100% of the Medicare crossover claims denied ostensibly due to the X modifier not being processed by the secondary payer. After a lot of due diligence, we learned that was untrue. It was a problem with the MAC. So we had to undo all that programming and try to figure out how to get all those secondary claims that would not process pay for the providers. A very long and arduous process. In addition, place of service 19 required for off-campus facilities resulted in denial for professional interpretations of radiology services because, again, a programming error. The NCD from October for breast cancer update codes was just corrected for January, so again, another very long lag in correctly adjudicating past claims. The new anesthesia code for upper and lower GI was not programmed correctly and resulted in all the patients getting a bill for the whole service as if they were adjudicated as PR. And the mammogram codes, of course, for the update for January 1, are also incorrect. It seems to me that if the provider wants to um, maintain the same diligence that CMS does, it's incumbent on them. They have to. They don't get a choice. Unfortunately, those same standards and priorities don't appear to apply to CMS or their contractors, and it's on the back of the provider to deal with their mistakes and their delayed payments. So, yeah, Chuck, I'm pretty frustrated with this, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I'm hoping that CMS will hear this message and plan for some testing and some better uh, proactive actions as we go forward. Thanks so much. Back to you, Erica. Wow, I do not blame you for being frustrated. Thanks, Holly. That was the past president of the Healthcare Business and Management Association, Holly Louie. Holly is the Compliance Officer for Practice Management, Inc. Chuck? Thanks, uh, Erica. And Holly, uh, thanks very, very much for your reporting. You can read Holly's story on her experience in next Tuesday's edition of ICD-10 Monitoring News. As we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, Medicare beneficiaries will soon be receiving new identification cards. Now, these new cards are expected to be in the mail starting April 1st. We'll see about that. With more on this developing story is author, educator, and consultant Dwayne Abbott. Good morning, Dwayne. So some seniors are about to get carded. Yeah, we have new cards coming out uh, starting on or about April 1st. Obviously, April 1st is the uh, weekend, but uh, they will be following thereafter. Medicare beneficiaries are going to be receiving uh, new MBI, the Medicare Beneficiary Identifiers. My concern right now is I think there are a lot of Medicare beneficiaries that have no idea that these cards are coming. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, and of course we're going to have to do everything we can 
to assist in this process. The uh, impetus behind this change is good. I mean, they're trying to move away from the use of the uh, Social Security-based HIN number, and uh, this is for, well, reasons of uh, fraud and uh, theft identity, etc. My fear is that in mailing all of these cards out, at least for a time period, uh, we may find that uh, uh, the potential uh, for fraud is going to be increased. All right, well, the process sounds, at least at a uh, 50,000-foot level, sounds pretty simple. Uh, We're going to start next week. What that means, I do not know. They're going to do this in waves. Uh, uh, So far as I know, they're going to start over with five mid-Atlantic states. You will want to check uh, because you'll need to... uh, Take a look at your uh, front registration desk processes, and uh, you'll want to know when you should start asking the Medicare beneficiaries for their new cards and or their new numbers. Now, what about the Medicare beneficiaries? Well, somehow we need to educate them. I don't know how we're going to do this. It doesn't seem to be getting down. At least I haven't seen much about it. I'm not sure they're going to know that these things are coming. I'm not sure that they're going to know what they are. Some of them will consider them to be junk mail and will destroy them. Uh, Some will will just have a lot of questions about, well, what is this new card? What should I do with my old one, if anything? CMS is recommending that we uh, destroy the old one. Now, that doesn't mean throwing it in the garbage. That means uh, micro-shredding or something like that, okay? Now, the big challenge with the Medicare beneficiaries is simply knowledge. The fact that they are going to be getting this, how many cards do they need to bring with them uh, to the doctor's office, etc.? This is going to be a bit of a mess. Now, what about the providers? Well... At some point soon, you're going to have to start asking the Medicare beneficiaries for their new card. Now, depending on where you are geographically, the Medicare beneficiaries may or may not have their cards, and uh, you will want to track as much as you can when the cards are going to be issued, but almost immediately you're going to have to start asking For these new cards, you're going to have to make a copy of it. You're going to have to update your system, etc. Again, uh, there are some secondary concerns, particularly with uh, processes that extend across the years. And I'm thinking here about uh, uh, appeals of claims that take years to get processed. Uh, what are we going to do about the uh, HIN numbers versus the MBI numbers? What about Medicare Advantage appeals? There are a lot of other issues that uh, providers will have to uh, deal with. And uh, even though this sounds like a straightforward process, I think uh, the implementation of this change is going to be a little bit messy. Thanks, Dwayne. Uh, I made myself a little note to tell my dad to be expecting his card. 
That was author, educator, and consultant Dwayne Abbey. Dwayne is the president of Abbey and Abbey Consultants. Chuck? Thank you, Erica. And Dwayne, thanks very much. You can read Dwayne's reporting on the new Medicare beneficiary cards in today's edition of the ICD-10 Monitor E-News. Once again, here's Dr. Erica Reamer and our popular segment, Talk Back What's on Your Mind This Morning, Erica. Chuck, last Tuesday after our webcast, I drove to Columbus to attend the Ohio Health Information Management Association's annual conference. It's always great to be surrounded by energized, interested professionals striving to improve their practice. I got to speak on Wednesday, Coding Day. My presentation was called CDI, the Coder as the Last Best Hope for the Right DRG and a shout-out to any of our listeners who attended it. Emily, first slide, please. My title was a reference to Babylon 5, a science fiction series which ended in 1998. The Babylon 5 station was the last best hope for peace amongst alien nations. Since many of my attendees might not even have been born then, I also used the metaphor of being a soccer goalie. Next slide. The concept is that if the provider doesn't do adequate documentation, If the CEDIS doesn't do their job of soliciting the best diagnoses, then the coder is the last chance to make sure the DRG ends up where it belongs. My method of chart review is to read the encounter and determine what the idealized coding should be based on the story. I then compare it to the abstract, and if something is missing or the DRG is mismatched, I try to figure out what the problem is. I got a plug-in for native coding to be followed by a pass-through computer-assisted coding to double-check and confirm accuracy rather than using CAC as the primary coding tool. The set of cases I brought to OHIMA were cases which I thought were really interesting and educational. Some pointers were showing the attendees the information I try to impart on providers like don't describe a scribe. Coders aren't allowed to infer and you need to draw conclusions for them. I also instructed them that if you don't know what the documentation is referring to, you can look it up. If it turns out that it is clinically significant but non-indexable in its current form, you might need to query for clarification, like the example of pancreatic rests I found, which should go to a Q code, which is a CC. I'll share one with you. An elderly woman with a ureteral stent has a pyonephrosis, an infection whereby pus fills the collecting system. Urology remarks needing to remove the infected stent, but the operative note only documents insertion of the two new stents. So the PCS is missing the removal of the infected stent in addition to the dilation root operations of the new stents. This also prevented picking up the relationship between the infected device and the pyonephrosis, which should have resulted in a T83 code for a complication from a device. This defined the DRG. The relative weight is rather different with an extra half day of length of stay allotted. I am well aware that in order to get to my idealized DRG, querying would be necessary. The point is that this was a complicated urinary tract infection, and that dimension needed to be documented in a codable format for the coding abstract to tell the right story. Come join me at National Ahima in September in Miami when I will be doing an updated version of this talk. That's all for me, Chuck. Erica, thanks very much. Good presentation, and we look forward to your having that. That's going to be a wrap for the 318th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. And Erica and I want to thank our guests today, Lori Johnson, Rhonda Teller, Lorraine Martinez, who's calling in live from San Juan, Puerto Rico. 
And of course, our special guest, Dwayne Abbey. And we hope to see you right back here next Tuesday for another edition of Tucked In Tuesday. That's when we're going to report on MIPS and why it's being so maligned and mistreated. Until then, I'm Chuck Buck speaking on behalf of Dr. Eric Reamer and everyone here at Tucked In Tuesday night, ICT 10 Monitor. Have a great week, everyone, and thanks for being with us. Tucked In Tuesday is a production of ICD 10 Monitor.